And welcome back to the KI Prime podcast with me, Alina Jenkins. In this episode, I'm talking to Dr. Pim Tennyson, Scientific Director and Research Director of the School of Health Professions Education at Maastricht University in the Netherlands. His background is as a medical specialist in obstetrics and gynaecology, and he uses his clinical experience to inform his research and vice versa. He's passionate about understanding how healthcare professionals learn through their work because it provides the key to ensuring excellent healthcare now and in the future. When I spoke to him in the autumn of 2020, he told me a little more about his research, which led him to be part of the fellowship. Yes, well, my research is mainly around uh, workplace learning, which is a, a broad theme. In the way that I see it, it is trying to understand how people, in this case, uh, healthcare professionals or future healthcare professionals, uh, learn through the work that they do, because a lot of their training happens in actual practice. And they are part of the healthcare team and part of participating in healthcare. And so I find it very interesting to see how people uh, learn while also working. And that is something that uh, I've studied from different angles, and that I try to use I try to use those insights in conceptualizing how we might support people optimally in developing into you know, healthcare professionals for the future. You're a clinician and obstetrician, so what inspired you to follow this research path? Well, uh, very early on when I was still studying medicine myself, I realized that it's a, a great profession that you're training for trying to understand how a human body works and what's going on when it's not working as it should and trying to see how you can help people in that respect. But also that there's more to working in healthcare and trying to help people than only knowing how the body works. And I must admit that I thought that the study of medicine was in some ways limited in that it lacked perspectives from the social sciences and from other disciplines. So during my studies, I you know, did some courses and some, uh, I made some trips outside of the field of, of medicine, let's say, let's put it like that, which really sparked my interest in a world of science that could, I think, really contribute to how we uh, organize care for our patients. And I wasn't able to verbalize it this way when I was a medical student. But uh, uh, it did get me interested in uh, how are we actually training future healthcare professionals. And through that path, I became involved with trying to understand how a new curriculum, competency-based curriculum for the training of future uh, gynecologists might influence the way in which they learn in practice. Uh, and that eventually led to a, a PhD trajectory that I did before I started my own training in obstetrics and gynecology. Um, but from there on, I continued to combine a research in a number of different areas uh, related to medical education and being a clinician myself. And although they can seem to different worlds, for me, they are very much connected, obviously. And uh, the great thing is that I can have my clinical experience influence my research work 
and my research work you know, enriches my, my clinical work. And I'm looking for those connections, and not just in my own work, but also in, in other ways to help move our field forward. Could you give us some examples of areas you've delved into and what your overall research looks like? Yeah. As I said, it is diverse. So one example of a PhD student that I'm uh, working with is uh, Chris Rietmeyer, who is studying observation and problematizing observation. Because from a theoretical standpoint, an educational standpoint, uh, it makes a lot of sense to tell healthcare practitioners, you need to observe your trainees, uh, because based on the observation, you can provide them with uh, feedback and they can learn from that feedback. However, in practice, we are seeing that trainees often don't like to be observed and that uh, supervisors find it sometimes problematic to decide whether or not they will sit in and observe somebody interact with patients. So we we try to unravel the phenomenon of observation and try to understand it better in a scientific way that could then inform how we think about our educational concepts and how we can apply them to practice, and uh, which may be obvious to everyday practitioners was something that that wasn't really studied well in our domain. So what we are seeing is the importance of observation, not just as a tool for feedback, but as uh, part of the relationship between a trainee and his or her supervisor. And where observation in the beginning of that relationship, when they're just starting to work together, may be something that they both want. And that is a sign of commitment from both sides that they want to invest in the development of the trainee becomes more problematic once the trainee gets more independence. And then the suggestion of observation might be perceived as a lack of confidence in the abilities of the trainee or the fact that somebody wants some observation because they say, well, this is a patient that I'm unsure about and I'd like you to come with me and see what I'm doing and what I might be missing. Uh, trainees experience that in those situations, they often are not only observed, but gradually their supervisor will take over the consultation. So what might start with observation leads to a situation where they lose control of their interaction with the patient, which is something that usually they do not want. So by taking these rather obvious practical situations, of which, which observation is just one example, and trying to understand what that means in the healthcare context where you are where you have learners and experienced practitioners and patients and relating that to our educational theories and our good intentions on how to support that practice with those educational theories is the type of research that I uh, engage in. What I'm discovering from talking to all of the fellows and also to Lorelei Lingard is something which seems to run as a common thread, and that's communication and language. And hearing you talk about observations, relationships and feedback, I wondered if your research had focused on language and communication too. No, certainly. Language and communication are, are central to basically all of the, the, the processes that we study. Because in all of these situations, uh, it is how people try to make sense of the world around them in a very abstract uh, way. But for for a medical student or for a nurse in training, they want to participate in practice. They try to understand the healthcare community in which they need to participate. And it is through communicating with that community and through 
language, certainly, that they get a sense of uh, what their role is, what the opportunities are for them to develop. And then if you look at other, the, the one-to-one interaction uh, with patients where people learn from, that, of course, is also communication, trying to understand how your actions impact the patient, the person you're trying to help, and picking up uh, often implicit cues from the patient, from your environment that you think might be relevant to your own actions and that people therefore use to, uh, to guide their, their learning. But yeah, it is important. I think a lot of these processes are implicit or tested and people don't recognize them. And people like Laura Lingard, of course, help us to really focus on the importance of those processes. You've done a lot of work and research on the transition which students make from medical school into the workplace and how they are then learning. What are some of the challenges they face as they make that transition? Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. It's one of my areas of interest. There, there are different ways in which you can discuss this topic. And uh, often it starts with what are people who are in training to become a medical specialist once they finish their training and start working as a medical specialist. What are they struggling with or what do they have to deal with? In general, what you see is that they are struggling with uh, more managerial aspects of their work with some of the financial issues, with the fact that they then have to take final responsibility where in previous situations they could fall back on somebody who now, now they are the person that other people fall back on. That is of importance, of course, trying to understand that. For me, the bigger reason or the even more important reason to find this an interesting area of research is that our common reaction to finding out about these struggles is to want to eliminate them by changing the education that people had before they entered this transition. And over the past couple of years, by trying to understand how we can deal as a, as a field, as a community, with this transition, uh, we've also been able to show that there are other ways of seeing this struggle, that there will always be some form of transition and that, yes, we need to prepare people optimally, but we probably also need to focus more on helping people to deal with the transition, with the inevitable struggle and uh, enabling them to learn from those times of change. If you do that, then you see the fact that some of this transition and even struggle is inevitable, uh, not just as a challenge, but also as an opportunity for for future development, which is a more positive outlook on, on this. And I think one that uh, holds potential for our future way of dealing with transitions. I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on competency-based education and how your research ties in with this. I don't have any issues with the uh, ideas behind competency-based education. I think they've, if you view it in an historical perspective, uh, the competency-based movement is a reaction against a, a view on what people need to learn that was really focused on uh, specific knowledge and skills and then attitudes were added to that. And what I think competency-based medical education has brought us is the realization that we need to look beyond the medical expertise that healthcare professionals need to be able to do their their job properly. If we now look at how 
competency-based models are being translated to educational programs in practice. What I see is that often this is a rather linear process where general competencies or competency roles are subdivided into sub-competencies and further divided into specific learning goals. And then next to that, we carve up the profession into chunks and say, well, in this bit of the profession, you can practice these competencies. That forms a matrix. And in that matrix, we can put our assessment methods to say uh, which methods will assess which competencies in which situations. And the suggestion is that if we do all that and if it all works out neatly on paper, that at the end we will have produced a competent physician or nurse or midwife. And I think that's uh, missing the mark, that we are not seeing what it actually takes to develop yourself as a healthcare professional for the future. And I think one of the, or the, the main issue that we still have to solve is how we connect the ideas behind competency-based education and the fact that it is more than just training healthcare experts, how we connect that through or to the uh, work in practice in which we are training people. So we need to find models that are usable in practice so that people actually use them. And I think the, the win-win opportunity is to integrate our educational models better with the models that we have to continuously improve healthcare. And there's a growing body of research that, that shows that a lot of people in practice find a number of the competency terms that we use impractical. Therefore, they don't use them in how they look at their trainees and they don't use it in how they assess their trainees. And the same goes for some of the assessment requirements that we've developed. The reasons behind it are sound, but if people don't use them how they are intended and you get what i call a, sort of an educational tokenism they do what they need to do to satisfy the educational requirements but they are not actually learning how to become better together so what behaviors make a good clinical teacher and on the other side what behaviors would you hope to see in students i think they're not not so much specific behaviors but even more important is a particular outlook on uh, their profession, that is that they are, let me put it this way, I, I think the main challenge that we as healthcare professionals in particular all have is to make sure that we do our best every day for our patients that we are seeing today and tomorrow, and at the same time acknowledge that we need to be critical of what we're doing and that we might be able to learn from the things that we could do better in order to do even better next week and next year. And the, the tension there is that if you're open to continuously learn, you're in a way saying, well, I'm not the best that I am now, or as a team, we can always improve, which almost says, well, we're not providing the best possible care at this moment. And I think that's not right. You are providing the best possible care at this moment, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it is helpful to say, okay, uh, what can we learn from today that will help us tomorrow? And it is easier to be happy with today and not be critical of yourself because there's a lot of uncertainties and doubts and struggle that also come along with being that open to ongoing development. 
one of PhD students that I worked with a couple of years ago put it in a very beautiful phrase. It's something like uh, accepting the current while always striving for something better. That's quite difficult. And in terms of behaviors, I think that translates to the entire healthcare community. So not just trainees, but also experienced practitioners recognizing that we can all learn from our patients and from each other and that we use the outcomes of our care and the processes that are already there in our in our current practices to see what they tell us about what we're doing well and what we could do better. I've been getting this sense of excitement from speaking to all of the fellows and to the previous prize winners because the field of medical education research is still relatively young, but I get the sense everyone involved in it is very open. They want to see things through a different lens. Does that excite you too? And was this openness and different viewpoints something which attracted you to medical education research? I would like to say yes, but I think in in actuality, it, it wasn't such a deliberate choice for a particular feel or openness within this community. But once I got engaged in it more and more, it is certainly one of the features that I value very much. Being fully embedded in both the research of medical education and healthcare practice, I see that there is a willingness uh, or a sort of a shared goal in both worlds to think about how we can improve. But that attention that I just described it, we need to be mindful that in saying that there's room for improvement and for for ongoing development, we shouldn't suggest or at least be very careful in suggesting that things are wrong at the moment uh, is important. So I think just recognizing that there is an ongoing development and that, for instance, the competency-based movement is indeed our current way of uh, framing education, but that this will pass and that something else will come along. That is the most exciting thing for me. And that's what motivates me to contribute to that ongoing development. And there's room for that within this world. So that's great. Where do you see your research taking you? What are your goals in the coming years? I think it is on that intersection between educational theory and practice learning. And I think one of the areas where we can gain a lot is by seeing how the world of quality improvement, which relates mainly to healthcare processes, what are the outcomes and what does that tell us for the continuous quality improvement of healthcare systems, connecting that to our insights in how educational perspectives and theories can be applied to helping people to learn and develop. And that's why my research on these different aspect of how do people learn in practice is uh, hopefully helping to provide a a rich understanding of where the intersections are with other initiatives from a different perspective, but aimed at the same goal, trying to learn from what you're doing now in order to become better in the future. And I think if we find models, educational models that, that connect educational theory to practice in a way that also supports practice improvement, and that's where the uh, the future of medical education should be. It's been a busy year for you, Pim, and you've just taken on a new role. Can you tell us more about that? Um, yeah, so one of the exciting things for me at the moment is that I started as the new director of the School of Health Professions Education here at Maastricht University. Yeah, uh, she, as the abbreviation is, is a, a graduate school and a research school which has 
also different activities in educational uh, domain that we provide a, a master in health professions education and a number of different courses for health profession educators and that we have a great uh, program called she collaborates where we work together with um, people around the world to see if we can help them create impact in their educational programs it is a real honor to take over i'm taking over from case van der vleute as the former director who is also a former ki prize winner and it is an opportunity for me to see how we can create an even how we can build on the network that is already existing around she and use that network to see where the future challenges lie in medical education and yeah, it offers another way in which i can enable other people to contribute to to our field so i see it also as perhaps paying forward some of the great guidance and and help that i got in um, and getting to this stage and making sure that our field stays very inclusive and that we educate and train and study all of those things that are necessary to and make sure that medical education plays an important role in uh, making healthcare better. Dr. Pim Tennyson. In the next episode, we'll hear from Rashmi Kasurka and her research into how motivation affects academic performance. I hope you can join me then.